0: do I do what I like. yeah, I do what, I like. yeah, I do what I like. what's up welcome in uh this week's gonna be a little bit different I don't have Nate anchoring things I'm running the show I don't have Joe here so I basically just got to do whatever I wanted and since I get to do whatever I want I thought why not bring on one of my former co-hosts of the Red Shirts Dynasty podcast from the good old glory days and bring in Matthew Betts and, and talk a little shop and have some fun about football. How's it going, man?
1: Dude, it is great to be back with you on the mic. This just feels, feels right. And uh, yeah. I'm not going to lie, I'm, I'm a little tired today. It was kind of a long night. <laughs> uh, I've, for the listeners out there, I've got uh, twins that are about eight months old. It was a little bit of a rough night. But that intro... My goodness, <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm ready to run it through hyped. a brick wall. So I'm ready to go, man. This is going to be fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. I'm, I'm happy to have you here, man. It's going to be so good to talk. And um, just like red shirts, we did absolutely zero prep. So we're going to just fly through things here. Um, for the listeners out there, my good friend Matthew Betts here is also a diehard Eagles fan. Uh, so I wanted to get your take on the Eagles going back to the Super Bowl with Carson Wentz's second backup quarterback um and figure out what it what it means to you what the what the Eagles look like and and what kind of got them there
1: man I'm excited and I think if you're an Eagles fan you have to be based off of kind of the optimism that really goes back to the AJ Brown trade like when that happened it was like oh wow like you know they know uh Jalen Hurts is on a rookie deal not just a rookie deal a second round rookie deal let's really make sure we kind of maximize this window and go after it and that move to me kind of said everything about what they thought about their chances this year. So I was pretty optimistic of the summer, but of course you don't want to get too excited. Um, and what's funny is like all the money came pouring in on the Eagles over on their win total and on Jalen Hurts MVP tickets. And then when that all started happening, like when the public's on your side, you almost kind of feel more nervous. And I yeah. was like, oh, like they're gonna let me down at some point. Um, but part of the reason that people were interested in the Eagles from a betting standpoint is because. They had one of the easiest strength of schedules across the entire NFL. It turns out they did. Um, And that's kind of been the knock on them for a while is, you know, they haven't really proven it. They haven't really played anyone. And I was pretty excited to see them actually go up against a really good San Francisco uh, defense and offense. Truthfully, Uh, last week, unfortunately, we kind of know how that game went. And it was basically over when they lost both quarterbacks, couldn't throw the football, um, just didn't really have a chance. But Top to bottom, this roster is loaded. There really is not a weakness on offense or defense for this team, but we're definitely going to find out a lot about how real this Eagle season was when they face off against Mahomes uh, in two weeks.
0: Yeah, I think one of my biggest takeaways from the NFC Championship game um, was how dominant the offensive line was in the run game against a really, really good 49ers defense. And I think if you're an Eagles fan, that has to be exciting, right? To, to know that your offensive line can hang in there with with the best of the best and win in the trenches and that your run game can produce four touchdowns in last week's game, I think it was, three or four. That, yeah. that stands out to me as a, as a major win and something that should be really exciting going into the Super Bowl because I don't love my offense to be just a big play offense. I want them to be able to methodically grind down defenses, wear them out. You know, Yeah, you love the big splashy plays, and those are great too, and they can definitely do that. But the ability to just go on a six-minute drive, take it down the field, and punch in a rushing touchdown is awesome. So I think that's definitely something to be excited about for the Super Bowl. Do you wish almost that there hadn't been quarterback injuries to the 49ers? Do you wish they were a little more battle-tested in some ways coming in? Or do you just take it as, hey, a win's a win, and we got to the Super Bowl, and we're going to do what
1: we can do well it's funny because i was watching the game um with my wife and father-in-law and a couple family members and they were like oh you must be so excited and i just had this like feeling of like okay that's cool you know like like it was almost like a consolation like you're through because this wasn't a game and uh, granted i am ecstatic we all have our gear ready to go the dog has his bandana ready to go (laughs) Um, we're all in but yeah, I I wish it was a game. I wish it was a fair fight, like I said, because just once the Brock Purdy injury happened, it just was, you could just feel it was over, you know? Um, but like you said, they did dominate against a really good run defense, uh, which was kind of surprising because San Francisco had just been unreal all season. But like you're saying, they have all the pieces to put it together. You want to force Jalen Hurts to be a pocket passer? Okay, he's got two of the best weapons in the game three, if you include Dallas Goddard. He can get that done. And what's been really I think tough for defenses against Jalen hurts and the Eagles is they are not one dimensional in any way. And actually they have three dimensions. It's the passing game, the rushing attack with the running backs and Jalen hurts using his legs. Right. How do you game plan for that? How do you defend it? And it's been so fun to see the Eagles offense game plan for their opponent. Like when they face a terrible run defense, remember against the, uh, the green Bay Packers in primetime, they just said, oh, we're yeah. going to run it all over you. We're not going to throw it all. And then the very next week, They picked on Tennessee, and they said, okay, their secondary is banged up. They've been one of the worst in the NFL. Their run defense is elite. Let's just throw all over the yard. And that's, of course, when A.J. Brown went crazy. So that's been really fun to see them game plan for their opponent. And, you know, when you have the ability and the personnel to do that, it makes your life a lot easier as an offensive coordinator and a game planner.
0: How do you think that they attack the Kansas City defense then? If you know that they can kind of pick and choose what way they want to carve up a defense, what do you think that the strength is? Uh, for the Eagles going against the, the Kansas City defense.
1: Yeah, the the Chiefs, you know, for the first like eight weeks were playing pretty terribly in the secondary and they were a defense you could throw on somewhat easily. Um, and, and across the entire regular season, no defense still gave up more passing touchdowns to their opponent. Those numbers are largely inflated by the first, you know, eight, nine, 10 weeks of the year. Uh, but over the last, you know, eight weeks or so, plus the postseason, they've been playing a lot better in the secondary. So I don't think they have a clear glaring weakness, but teams when they face Mahomes, because of how good the chiefs are almost have to throw. Um, because yeah. if you're just too conservative and you try to say, Oh, let's just keep the ball out of his hands. It doesn't work. They're going to score points. It's not a matter of, of stopping them. It's a matter of trying to just slow down Mahomes. You can't really do that. And so I do think the Eagles know that they know that the weakness, if they have one over the middle of the field for the chiefs is where it's at. So I could see a very big Dallas Goddard game plan over the middle of the field. Um, but certainly I do think both phases will be involved, the rushing and the passing attack.
0: Dallas Goddard over receiving yards, <laughs> over receptions, and anytime touchdown. Got it.
1: I've been I've been looking at it <laughs> to see where it comes out. I haven't actually seen a number, have you?
0: Uh, I haven't yet. No, I think we're I think we're probably still too early. But yeah, that's gonna be fun to see what those what those props uh oh here we go. I got it for at. you. It's, it's, it's oh, let's okay, a, and a, a half. Minute. Oh, that's cake. Yeah, I'm taking I'm taking the over on that. That's that seems really doable. Um, I think that also you go out and you make a really big trade for AJ Brown, like you mentioned earlier, which is huge um, for what they're going to do this year. I think that he has to be a focal point in the offense in the Super Bowl, right? Like you you put everything into bringing an elite wide receiver. You got to show up on the biggest stage. But I also want to talk about what that did for Jalen Hurts' development. Like when we were running Red Shirts, we were all big fans of Jalen Hurts coming out of college, especially Okada. He was like in love with him and was mad, actually, that his Patriots didn't draft him. Um, Jalen Hurts, kind of dodgy early in his career, but the tools were there. He just didn't have the supporting cast. And then they were loaded up with three first round picks going into the draft. We were talking about a couple years ago, surround Jalen Hurts with talent, stick with him. And you're going to see benefits. And that's exactly what they did. Looking at other teams around the NFL, I mean, I'm, I'm a Bears fan from when I lived in Chicago. I basically just adopted them. And I'm like, yeah, I broke up with John Schneider and the Seahawks. So I'm going to go all in on, on Chicago. Um, you have Justin Fields, who looks like he's on potentially a similar trajectory. Now, asking any quarterback to take a leap to NFL a- MVP caliber is, is a huge ask. But you look at what they have in the first overall pick, the Bears came out today basically and said that they're that Justin Fields is their guy and they're going to look at potentially shopping that over that number 1 overall draft pick. What kind of lessons can we learn about how Jalen Hurts is surrounded with talent and how teams can attack, you know, the draft and and trading to surround a young quarterback as he develops?
1: Yeah, I mean you look at kind of what wins in today's NFL and just having one elite weapon does not get it done anymore you look at the teams that are still left or that have made it this far you know the giants kind of got exposed they didn't have the the guys that could actually get it done in the receiving game you look at um the chiefs they're the only team that really has no clear i mean they have travis kelsey he's a wide receiver one but they don't have a second guy really that you can rely on each week but they have the best player on the planet in patrick Mahomes. the other teams right like the bengals they've got t higgins they've got jamar chase um philly they've got devonta smith They've got um, A.J. Brown. And I really think the Bills are very close to this. You know, they, they've been there the last two years. But yeah. they were relying on Gabe Davis to be the dude. And Stefan Diggs, obviously, is elite. But they need a second guy. And I feel like in today's game, you need that second guy to really help you take it over the top. So what I've learned a lot from what the Eagles have done is, again, unless you have the best quarterback on the planet, you build on a rookie deal. You be aggressive with it, and you go after it. And, you know, really... What I've loved is that they've kind of taken advantage of teams that thought they were super close in the draft. The Saints, I mean, they gave up a haul to to get Chris Olave, basically. And now it looks incredible for Philly. They still are sitting there with a 10th overall pick. pick? Yeah, 10th overall pick. And then um, the year before was the Tua situation with Jalen Waddell and the top 10. Like, where was that going to shake out? They made the moves to move back. You know, I think it was like to pick 12 and then up two spots to get them onto Smith. So they've been just really good at allocating assets and kind of taking advantage of teams that yeah. think they're one guy away. And, you know, credit to Atawi Roseman. He's been incredible for that. So, yeah, I think the biggest lesson is you got to have two elite weapons if you want to compete in these these teams that are so top heavy, the loaded teams. Um, you just can't do it with one.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, the Bills need a second guy. And what we're seeing from these teams is trying to draft your second guy is really risky, right? Like it's almost as if you need to look around the league, see who might be available via trade or is coming in as a free agent and get a proven asset. You still draft, obviously you, you want to develop those younger talents, but if you think that you're close to pushing all in, we saw it with the AJ Brown trade. We saw it with the Devonte Adams trade, even though it didn't work out for, uh, Las Vegas and then we saw it with Tyreek Hill in Miami you have these teams that are willing to part with draft picks to go get a top-end guy to try to give to their quarterback to to make that push because it does typically take two and since Kansas City doesn't really have two and their wide receivers were super banged up in the last game I think that's got to be a concern for the Chiefs going into this Super Bowl because yeah Travis Kelsey's fantastic and he can go get you a uh, 110 yards and two touchdowns in this game, but if you don't have much to rely on outside of that against what's proven to be a really good Philadelphia defense, it could be a long day.
1: Yeah, and you know, thinking about like beyond this year, and it's funny as we've been saying it, you know, for two or three years now, is like, well, Kelsey's getting a year older. Kelsey's getting a year older. He's still dominant. He's still incredible. Yeah. But Kelsey's getting a year older. Right. So yeah. Right. He, he'll turn uh, 34 this October yeah. coming up here in you know six or seven months or whatever. Um, so you know, like they were aggressive getting Kadarius Tony. I like the move, I we've always liked Kadarius Tony's talent, but yep. clearly, health is an issue. Um, and Mahomes just out there with a bunch of dudes, like they have a bottom five wide receiver room, not including Jarvis and still, still
0: throwing 5,000 passing yards this year and 41 touchdowns. How? Right.
1: And that's why he's the unquestioned MVP of the league and the best player on the planet, A. Patrick Mahomes. You can't do that with any other quarterback and expect good things right. to happen. So, but yes, to answer your question, like I do think Kansas City has to figure that out because they paid MVS a lot of money. And outside of last week, he was out there just running around. He didn't really do much this year, yeah. truthfully. Um, I, we like Sky Moore, you know, as a, a prospect coming out last year, he kind of struggled to carve out a big role. So they've got to get that figured out because eventually, time always wins. Eventually, Travis Kelsey will not be Travis Kelsey. So yeah, I'm interested to see what they do here moving forward to kind of shore up their pass catching core.
0: Although who knows when that's going to be at this point. I mean, he's a unicorn and he's dynasty tight end one until he's not right. Like it's it's like how we used to talk about Derrick Henry two, three years ago on the pod. And it's like, yeah, I'm sticking with Derrick Henry until he literally retires. And guess what? This year, again, dominant running back in dynasty. It's just you can't try to sell short on on that echelon of a player, especially at a position like tight end where you have such an advantage if you have Travis Kelsey over your opponents who are trying to roll out, you know, Austin Hooper. So yeah. it's it's a massive difference. I think you just stick with Travis Kelsey until forever unless you can get an absolute truckload in return for him. Um, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's go to Tom Brady. News came out, uh, this morning, a year to the day of his first retirement that he's retiring again. Where does this leave Tampa Bay? What are, what are they doing here to try and put things together going forward?
1: Great question. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure to be honest, what their, what their game plan is going to be here because they kind of didn't really have a game plan last year. Right. When, when Tom Brady retired the first time, um, everyone was trying to pencil in like the Kyle Trasks of the world and saying maybe he's the guy, hopefully. And they were like, dude, Tom, if you don't come back, like <laughs> we have no one, we're screwed. So <laughs> they're, yeah, they're stuck in the exact same boat because they didn't really plan kind of ahead for getting the next guy ready behind him. Right. We'll see what they do this offseason. But yeah, as of right now, I don't think the starting quarterback is on the roster.
0: Wouldn't it be hilarious if it was Jimmy Garoppolo? for the whole Brady to Garoppolo handoff <laughs> storyline. And that's be a great. pretty
1: realistic thing. Honestly, I, I feel yeah. like is, I mean, he's a guy that kind of just keeps floating around the NFL and wins games and is productive enough for an offense that he can get the job done. So I would not be surprised to see that happen again in his career, especially when you consider kind of um, what's unfolded in San Francisco. They might have interest in bringing him back with the health issues there, but uh, it sounds like Trey will be good to go. And, you know, they've kind of already made up their mind last year. Like we're going to move forward. We we sort of have to with Trey Lance to see what happens. So I wouldn't be surprised. Jimmy's going to be, I think a popular uh, rumor to go to Tampa.
0: So there's going to be, there's two things that I want to talk about here. I want to talk about Tampa and a little bit more about their roster. I also want to talk about San Francisco and their quarterbacks and the injuries and stuff like that. Sticking with Tampa real quick, they are going to have the second worst cap situation of any team in the NFL this year they are at negative 52 million dollars in cap space 52 million over uh trailing only the Saints for the worst cap space although the Saints have had the worst cap space in the league for what feels like five years now um what is Tampa looking to do if if they know that they don't have Tom coming back they're looking at their cap situation they're looking at Mike Evans getting older uh Chris Godwin isn't as young as he used to be. He's going to be 27 here in, I think, a few weeks even. He's coming right up on his 27th birthday. Is Tampa a candidate to tear it down? Are they looking at potentially offloading some of these skill players, some of the older contracts that they have on the defensive side of the ball? Do we think that they could be looking at saying, hey, we got what we thought we could out of Tom Brady. We got a Super Bowl out of it. We went all in on that, and it worked. But now we're in the post-Brady era. It's time to strip it down you know, to, to nothing, restock our our draft picks and move forward with the rebuild.
1: Yeah, I could definitely see that being a realistic possibility because when you consider the other kind of big names on the roster, not including Tom Brady, Chris Goblin, Mike Evans, like on the defensive side, Akeem Hicks is 33 years old. Ryan Jensen's been incredible. He's over 30 years old. Um, you know, these guys like Levante David and... um Shaq Barrett have been around the league for a little while. They're not really at that stage of their career, but they've been in the NFL for a long time. It does feel like this team was built to win right now with Tom Brady and they did that, but now they're clearly ready for the next step. And I do feel like that signal is like, if it's not this year that that happens, it's in the very near future because the roster is aging. And as we saw when Tom Brady wasn't playing incredible football and, you know, just at the level that he had been for forever this year, Um, things really fell apart. And so, yeah, I do think the end is kind of here for Tampa. It's time to reload. But at the same time, if you're Tampa, you look around the league, you look around your division, like that division is an absolute mess. So do you say we have the guys, let's just go for it for one more year and kind of bring in a Jimmy or someone like that and just like piece it together and go again. So, yeah, I I think you can see one of two ways, but I do think in the next two years, you, you almost kind of have to.
0: Yeah, I mean, another name that could be considered there is Derek Carr. We know that it's very unceremonious in Las Vegas, and it looks like they're moving on with no second plan. Maybe the Raiders are going to try to jump in the mix for the first overall pick from Chicago. I don't know. They've got questions to figure out there. We're in a really interesting carousel at the quarterback position this offseason now where there's some openings and some teams that are going to be very interested in that first overall pick. Indianapolis, Houston, Houston, Maybe Seattle. It looks like they're probably going to stick with uh, Gino, but there's, there's a, a lot of teams that can be very interested in trying to get up into the first, first or second pick to try to take their quarterback. It's going to be really interesting to see. I, I just think that Tampa Bay, if you try to bring in a Jimmy Garoppolo, a, a Derek Carr, is, is that good enough to really get it done? Like you have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, which is great. But outside of that, the cap space is horrible. That the team is aging. Are you looking at this saying we can legitimately make a Super Bowl run in the NFC? Although the NFC is a lot weaker than the AFC. We can legitimately make a run with one of those guys at quarterback. Or are we playing for the 2024 draft? Are we trying to get a Caleb Williams in there and tear everything down this offseason? So they've got they've got two different ways that they can really go. I think it's going to be interesting to see how they how they shake that out. Let's talk about San Francisco since we did bring it up there um, a little bit ahead of where I wanted to, but you have a very interesting quarterback room there where they gave a truckload to move up for Trey Lance. Trey Lance has only started four games in his NFL career now going on his third NFL season. Is he the guy? Is Brock Purdy the guy? Did he earn it in, in what we saw in the second half of this season? How do you think the quarterback room plays out there in San Francisco?
1: Yeah, San Fran is a bit of a mess right now because of the financial and draft capital commitment to Trey Lance and not knowing if he's the guy. We just don't have it a big enough sample. Uh, coming off major injury and Brock Purdy, who you know played well down the stretch, obviously getting them to the point that they did. Um, he's coming off major injury and will have surgery soon. We don't know the specifics there. And that's really the key for this team is the decision could be made for them based off what happens with the Brock Purdy surgery. So the the issue essentially is he has a torn uh, ulnar collateral ligament in his elbow. It's basically the Tommy John ligament, if you're familiar with baseball. You need that intact to play quarterback, to throw a baseball, to any throwing sport, you need that. So he and it's, needs on his, surgery.
0: it's on his throwing arm that he has. Yeah, it's tear. on his right
1: elbow. So you need surgery. You have two choices. Basically, you can reconstruct the ligament fully, which is Tommy John surgery, or you can repair it, and basically without going into too much nerdy detail, um, you can reinforce the ligament and have it be uh, an internal brace to, to that. And essentially, the rehab time is much lo- uh, shorter in that scenario. And so it just depends on what surgical decision is made with he and his team. If he has the full Tommy John, he's going to miss the entire year. And so right. at, if that is the case, maybe they say, okay, you know, Brock Purdy was a great story. He's going to miss the entire season, throw him on IR. We'll see what happens in the future. But if that's the case, like Trey Lance is going to be the team starter moving forward, coming off the ankle fracture dislocation. If it's the uh, shorter recovery timeline of about six to eight months, there's a chance he could be ready for week one. And in that case, then it becomes a very, very interesting conversation because you have two guys that you can kind of compete a little bit in training camp and see what gives you the best chance. But like I said, that elbow surgery might just decide it for San Francisco. But I feel like with just how much they invested in Trey Lance, they still have no idea because he just hasn't played enough. I almost feel like they have to go into the season operating as if he's the dude.
0: And what's so tough is that we, we talked about it a little bit with with Tampa Bay. Are they going to be in a position where they can make a run at a Super Bowl when you bring in a Jimmy Garoppolo or a Derek Carr? Well, is San Francisco, who has a very loaded roster, a great defense, although they're losing D'Amico Ryans to the head coaching position in Houston, they have a great defense, great Roster top to bottom, pretty much. They could use some help at wide receiver, you can argue, but they have Kittle and they have good running backs there. Are they making a Super Bowl run with a Trey Lance? Like, are they making a run with a guy who started four NFL games and has looked very questionable in what we have seen with him on the field? He gives them a running threat, sure, but he's only completed 55% of his passes in the games that he has played in. Are they looking at their roster and saying, yeah, we're going to experiment at quarterback and try to make a Super Bowl run, or are they going to be in the market for, I don't know, a one-year replacement and saying, hey, we're going to let Trey continue to grow, and we need a veteran in here who we think can get us to the Super Bowl. It's a really interesting conundrum that they're in, and you heard George Kittle literally after the NFC Championship game saying it feels shitty to lose because they don't have a quarterback, and yes, that's because of injury, but... It's this it's the same thing. Like this roster is ready to go. Are they gonna experiment with Trey Lance and and maybe get off to a slow start out of the gate because their quarterback play isn't up to where it needs to be?
1: Yeah. Well, what's interesting about the whole like injury aspect of, of stuff is like they have to bring in someone, even if it's just as like a backup body for camp or like to kind of get ready. And so I think what they feel about Trey Lance is, you know, we're going to find out a lot about the quality of quarterback that they bring in. If it's just kind of this, you know, journeyman backup around the NFL that might start a couple of games here and there, like, okay, they feel confident Trey Lance can be the guy. If they bring in someone that's the same caliber of like a Jimmy G, like they might say, we want to have another guy that can actually step in and play a full season if he has to. So, yeah, I think we're going to find out a lot about uh, what Trey Lance means to the Niners and how they feel about him in the next, you know, several weeks.
0: So I put it on here, and the question feels silly, but Patrick Mahomes is the undeniable QB1 in Dynasty, right? Like, he, with, with no weapons and with the injuries that he has, he still put up an absolutely massive year. Do we care that he's not one of these elite rushing quarterbacks, or are there people out there that still look at it and say, oh, it's a cheat code to have a quarterback that can give me 800 to 1,000 rushing yards and that that's worth the conversation of being in the QB1?
1: What's crazy is that not that long ago, You could have made an argument for, you know, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, to name a few um, quarterbacks as the dynasty quarterback one. However, (laughs) things have changed, right? Lamar Jackson had a major PCL injury. Uh, He's going to go through a bit of a scheme change with the OC coming in. We don't know who that is yet, Uh, but we've been wanting Rashad Bateman to be the guy. Again, we just don't know if he can be an alpha one. Mark Andrews is awesome, but beyond that, they've got a terrible wide receiver room and they really haven't been able to support him with weapons to help kind of elevate him to a point in Dynasty where you just feel so secure about the fact that his, you know, ecosystem is not going to be horrible for years to come. We can't really say that. We don't know, but he's still Lamar Jackson, right? Kyler Murray, you know, that team is a mess. That team is an absolute mess coming off the ACL. So he's out of the conversation currently. where well, yeah, they, and, and his rushing upside
0: and, is going to be limited for at least a year, right? Like this next season, yeah. even if he's on the field, we're not going to see the the high rushing upside.
1: Right, and I would not expect him to be ready for week one, start of the season. Could be a, a, a PUP, PUP candidate to open the year. And like you said, maybe we see some of that rushing in December, you know, but at that point for fantasy, it doesn't really matter as much. So yeah, it'll be the year after that we kind of see the real Kyler. Um, but again, what are the weapons, you know? DeAndre Hopkins is almost certainly gone with the contract situation and the rebuild that they need to do. So that puts a lot of you can poke a lot of holes in those two guys in Lamar and Kyler. And I love Josh Allen. And to me, last year he was the the dynasty quarterback one. But it's I need them to have another weapon to help right? his overall consistency and ceiling get there. And you know, Josh Allen was incredible this year. He's always gonna be incredible. He's always gonna be a top five fantasy quarterback. So that's not what I'm saying. But I agree. I think it is Mahomes because honestly, it kind of feels like the situation with what he had this year, you know, can it get worse? I mean, Travis Kelsey, I guess, can can be gone. That can happen. But he did it with a bunch of a bunch of dudes, a bunch of random dudes out there. Right. Justin Watsons of the world out there running routes and Marquez Valdez Scantling and Juju, you know, in and out of the lineup. So and what you're getting with the Dynasty quarterback one doesn't always mean he's gonna finish as the one, but you just know for the next eight, nine, 10 years without even thinking twice about it, that he is guaranteed to be in your starting lineup every single week. And there's a lot of value in that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I think the the future is locked in for him. I agree with you that the situation he had this year is, it's the worst that he's had so far in his career. Absolutely. And he's still put up over 5,000 yards and 41 touchdowns, leading the NFL in both those categories. Like, I don't know what more you want to see out of Patrick Mahomes to not have him Locked in there because the stability, like you said, is so great. Some of these rushing quarterbacks, yeah, the upside that we could get from them on a week-to-week basis in fantasy might be slightly higher than Patrick Mahomes on a week-to-week basis if Mahomes' weapons don't improve and we know that this guy can get me 6, 8, 14 points on the ground if you throw in a rushing touchdown plus the passing yards. But those guys that we're talking about, the Lamar Jacksons, the Kyler Murrays, their future doesn't look very, very certain. We don't know what is going to happen with Lamar Jackson this offseason, if he's going to be back in Baltimore, if he's going to go elsewhere, or if they're going to give him more weapons in the passing game. We don't really know for sure that this is a long-term locked-in NFL starter right now. Patrick Mahomes, you look at him, you know without a question that this is one of the best quarterbacks or the best quarterback in the NFL, and he's going to be the best quarterback in the NFL or a top five option for a very long time. So, yeah, moving on, I wanted to discuss some offseason moves. We know that the free agency pool, especially at the running back position, is pretty wide open this year. They did just come out with the cap numbers for what that's going to be for franchise tagging players. And the running back franchise tag number is right around $10 million, which is relatively inexpensive and affordable. So we could see some of these guys get tagged and brought back. But I did want to talk about you know, if if there's one off season move that we want to see happen, it can be a trade. It can be like, we were talking about these teams needing to bring in a second piece. Maybe it's the bills go out and get a wide receiver for a Josh Allen, or it's a running back that we're wanting to see unlocked as being a featured guy going somewhere else. Is there a move that you kind of have in, in your mind that you would like to see happen from a fantasy perspective?
1: Yeah, you just mentioned it. And that's what I wanted to bring up is let's get Josh Allen, someone else not named Gabe Davis. And you know, if, if anyone out there like plays in uh, best ball leagues and stuff like that, like he was a trendy by the end of summer, borderline third round pick in best ball leagues. And it's because we know how good Josh Allen. Yeah. And we know how good Josh Allen is. That really was, was the thesis is let's attach ourselves to Josh Allen and the bills offense, which clearly the bills offense is great, but I feel like kind of Gabe Davis maybe showed his true colors this year. Not that he's a bad player, but more that he's probably a wide receiver three in the NFL than a true every down wide receiver two. And to take him over the top from a Super Bowl perspective, he needs that wide receiver two. It seems like in the AFC anyway. So, you know, they're picking at the back of the first round. There's not a lot of guys to me in free agency that kind of move the needle from, from that standpoint, you're talking about, you know, Juju Smith Schuster and DJ Chark and Jacoby Myers. So I think is good, but kind of still just, not necessarily an elite guy, but you could get a legit weapon at the back of the first round here in this uh, pretty good draft class. Jackson Smith and Jigba. um, I've seen uh, Addison kind of mock there a little bit. So there's a bunch of guys that I could see falling to that point. And maybe they have one they love and they kind of move up three, four spots to go get. But I would love to see them take a wide receiver at the back of round one, really give Josh Allen another weapon.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. I think that it needs to be a focus for them going into the draft this year. uh, That wide receiver has to be a priority we also discussed on this podcast uh, last week that they also could really benefit from a power running back maybe not a first round running back but taking a, a real thumper of a back in the mid rounds to give them that real running presence on the inside because like Devin singletary is fine i like what he brings to that offense but if they were able to go get you know a bigger running back maybe a condre miller from tcu or roshan johnson who unfortunately just broke. A A finger, I think it was, at Senior Bowl pissed me off. Yeah, I just saw that. Oh, drove me crazy. But I agree with you. I think that if they're going to go all in, if they're going to try to take this offense over the top and get to the Super Bowl, it needs to be a wide receiver that does it. I love Jordan Addison. He's a great route runner. He honestly reminds me a lot of Devonta Smith when I'm I'm watching his film. Um, And we know that Devonta Smith is thriving right now as a number two. I think that we could see the same thing with Jordan Addison thriving as a number two, knowing that they have to give coverage to, to Stefan Diggs. So I, I like that fit a lot. Uh, I wanted to bring one up. I think that Dallas going into this off season, there's already been a lot of talk about their backfield. They have a lot of money sunk into Zeke already. And then if they were to tag Tony Pollard, you'd be looking at them having, I think it's $26 million, $23 million, something like that spent on their backfield, which would be absurd so I don't I don't know they do that, although Jerry Jones is a maniac and who knows what he's going to do. He could just decide to tag him anyways. But I would love to see, if I'm looking for a dream fit, I would love to see Tony Pollard go to Miami. I want to see Tony Pollard in a spread out offense that has a ton of speed and him bring even more speed to that offense. We looked at this Miami backfield. Their leading running back from a fantasy finish perspective was Raheem Mostert at RB25. So their best running back was a flex play. Pollard finished this year as the overall RB8, despite being in a split backfield. And he had 1,378 scrimmage yards, 12 touchdowns on only 232 touches. So then I went, oh, that's interesting. And I wanted to look at the touch total of the running backs that were above him. This is what I have. Austin Eckler had 311. CMC had 329. Josh Jacobs, 393, almost 400 touches. Derrick Henry, 382. Saquon 352, Chubb 329, Ramonde, Ramondre Stevenson 279, and then Pollard at 232. So his fantasy production of what he brings and just the juice and the athleticism that he has to get that many yards, that many touchdowns on only 232 touches, I want to see him get featured somewhere. I think in Miami, he could be a pass-catching like weapon because he only had, I think it was like 32 catches this year. This is a running back that can catch 50 balls, like no question about it. And I think if he goes to somewhere like Miami where he can operate in a true three-down skill set, I think that he could be a guy that finishes as a, as a top 5 running back in fantasy.
1: Yeah. I I mean, he's been the most explosive and efficient running backs in the last 2-3 years that he's been relevant in the NFL and really gotten an opportunity, but like you said, hasn't really gotten the opportunity to be the guy because Dallas did Dallas things and paid Zeke um, an absolutely silly amount of money, carrying the second highest cap hit among running backs this year. Entering twenty twenty three is Zeke over sixteen million against the cap. Is oh, yeah, uh, is it, would 26, it would be twenty
0: six. It would be twenty six million that they'd be spending on their backfield if they tagged Pollard because that number yeah, like 10 million and
1: and it's just I think pure uh, stubbornness, you know, like and it's tough because Zeke. At the time when he got the contract was great but we know and everyone knows and running backs don't last and they decline very quickly but it almost kind of felt like this year they said okay zeke here's your 12 to 15 touches every week because we're we're you know we're paying you so much we have to give it to you right that you couldn't really see tony pollard in a featured role so i love that spot that'd be awesome to go to miami um with a creative play caller who knows how to kind of get his guys in space um and with you know the guys that they have on the perimeter Taking up so much attention, you could see Tony Pollard be very effective in the middle area of the field and kind of get some, like you said, dump offs pretty good on the perimeter as well with his speed and explosiveness. So I think it'd be a great fit. I'd be interested to see, I don't know if you know what the um, what the Miami backfield did as far as fantasy as a whole, because it felt like each week they were in the conversation of, you know, this guy's a great RB2 play, plug Jeff Wilson in. But then it would be like, oh, Raheem Mostert got 12 touches. Like That didn't really help us. But if you just kind of took their starter, I wonder how good they actually were this year. Because it felt like we were chasing Miami running back for eight or nine weeks in a row.
0: It definitely did. I don't have that information offhand. But I do think that that backfield as a whole was a pretty productive unit. And if you have someone capable of taking on 70% of the work in that backfield, I think that that player becomes a really valuable fantasy asset. I, I mean, the, the speed that they have in Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell on the outside to just blow the top off defenses. If you have a running back that doesn't even have to be like a bell cow, bell cow running back, that's getting the 350 to 400 touches, but just someone that's going to get 275 to 300 or 325 total touches on the year, that running back is is going to be someone that is very valuable. So um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> talking about Dallas, Zeke and Jerry Jones is just like the epitome of sunk cost fallacy, right? Like, I spent all this money on that thing, so therefore I have to continue to invest in that thing. It's like, dude, let it go. It's okay. Like, it's it's time to, to move on, but he's not <laughs> going to. He's just going to ride that out as long as he can.
1: Yeah. Also, well, an, another kind of issue with yeah. Dallas currently is the Michael Gallup situation. Um, oh, yeah. You know, they chose uh, to keep Gallup, to extend him and you know obviously it was kind of predictable that he might have a down year coming off the ACL but he just had another uh, scope on his other knee uh, Tuesday for a meniscus issue and on his ankle as well so he needs to get healthy and he needs to get right because again kind of like we've been saying with these other offenses that don't have a legit wide receiver too, um CD Lamb's great but they need someone else to really contribute if they potentially lose Tony Pollard and they don't have a fully healthy 100% Michael Gallup, it could be another year of they're good, but they're not great sort of situation for Dallas. So they need to also, I think, address that position.
0: Yeah. Uh, Michael Gallup got a lot of cardio and strength and conditioning in this year. <laughs> good he was for him. He was a
1: guy that really, it felt like every week you knew you were going to get no fewer than four targets, but no more right. than six. It was very, right. very clear <laughs> what you were getting with Michael Gallup and like 30 to 50 yards hoping for a touchdown is, is really what it felt like. So yeah, it was a pretty disappointing. Very
0: much. Um, Dallas fans can take solace though, in knowing that they beat Tom Brady in his final game. So there you, there go. you go. That's what <laughs> hang they can hang their hat on. <laughs> all right. I think that's, that's all I've got for you, man. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining me. Um, please let's do this more regularly and not just every like two years. We need to get on the mic more often. It's a lot of fun. Maybe we can even convince uh, Mr. Okada at some point to join us. But yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, please feel free to follow us on the tweeters at FFDinoDieHards. Uh, subscribe on YouTube. Click that like button. Help us out if you, if you enjoyed the content. Uh, until next week, thanks so much, guys. I stay stay I stay stay I stay stay do this all night because I do what I like.